Father, we do thank and praise you, and we lift you up today. We love you, and we bless you, Father, and we just thank you, Lord. And Father, I ask that you break open the bread of life for your people here today. Lord, we just want to hear from heaven so that we can be healed in every way, spiritually, physically, and mentally. And we thank and praise you, Father God, and we give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And praise God. Hallelujah. Well, uh, let's see. The title, well, I had two titles, so I'm just going to leave it up to the girls that type them out. But uh, God's mercy is bigger than your mistakes. Amen. My other title is when, when we bring trouble on ourselves. When we bring trouble on ourselves. Well, guess what? God is faithful. Amen. When we bring trouble on our own selves. See, we, we play the blame game all the time. We do that to make ourselves feel better. Amen. But God is saying, look, I don't care whose fault it was. I, my mercy. See, we talking about God's mercy. God's mercy is bigger than all of our mistakes. Amen. His mercy is bigger than our bad character. It's bigger than our guilt. And see, the devil wants this, this, these mistakes that we make as Christians. Now, just mind you, he he he's not thinking of the devil's not thinking about these uh, sinners because he's got them. He works double time on Christians because he wants us to be disappointed in God. Amen. So his mercy is always bigger than anything that we can mess up because God can fix anything. Amen. He can fix anything. Amen. Some things is, you know, in the natural is just unfixable, but not with God, not with God. And he never gives up on his children. Amen. He doesn't like it when uh, wrong things happen or uh, the devil assaults us because that's all it is, is an assault on the devil, uh, on us from the, by the devil. But I'm telling you, God is bigger. Amen. Even though we mess up, even though we bring trouble on ourselves. And even when we disobey God, because that's how we get in trouble, disobeying God. Disobedience always brings trouble. But he works things out. Amen. You know, you hear people always saying, God works things together for the good. You know, I wish people would stop being so religious. I, I look back, I look back and I can't, re, I can't believe that I was into all of that religion. But I used to say that stuff too because I heard everybody else say it. And I thought it was true. But he really does uh, work things together for our good, even though we mess things up. When we bring trouble into our own lives, God can fix things and work them out for our good. We must learn to submit to the power of God, though. See, we have to be submitted to God. Amen. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have to uh, make sure that we accept 
God's plan and purpose for our lives. See, the reason we bring trouble on ourselves is when we go the opposite way from God. We go the other way. And we don't want to submit to his plan and purpose. Amen. God has a plan and a purpose for everybody. And when we submit to that, you know, then we things work out pretty good. But when we don't submit to God's plan and purpose, then we get into trouble. We want to do things our way. And so we start to get in trouble. Amen. So I'm going to give you just a few examples of what I'm trying to say. Uh, let's see. God doesn't run a tally on our good and bad deeds. All we need to do is repent. Now, if there's no repentance, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and that's the thing that people don't like to do. They don't want to repent because if they repent, that's a that's a, a show of guilt. You know, I'm guilty. They don't like to be guilty. But if we repent, because that's between you and God, and we need to repent. And once we repent, God takes things into his own hand. Amen. And he makes, he still works them together. Now, this is why he works things together. It's not because of the Baptist reason. Oh, God worked together. You know, because they're behind that saying with them is mess up. It's okay. Got to fix it. But God has a plan and a purpose. He has a will in all of this stuff. And so he wants to make sure that his plan and his purpose is carried out for his glory. Amen. So it's for his glory that he works these things out when we mess up. It's for his glory that we, you know, uh, that he fixes things and and makes things uh, right again. And it turns out to be better than it was before. It's for his glory. It's not to cover up anybody's mess up, cover up anybody's sin, because God doesn't do that. He exposes sin. But he wants uh, things to work together for our good, for his glory. Y'all got that. Amen. So Peter desired to walk on water. Amen. It was his idea because he wanted uh, to walk with Jesus. He wanted to be, um, so close to Jesus that he said, bid me to come. And when Jesus said, come, he came and he walked on water. But see, if you hear this in the religious sense, oh, that old Peter failed, you know, he messed up and it wasn't like that. Peter desired to be like Jesus because he was made in his image. And and God only wanted Peter to do exactly what he did. But when he looked up and saw the storm, see, the storms of life will show you who you really are. <laughs> he was good until he looked up and noticed that storm. And when he started looking around and saw a storm, he said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And but you know what? What did God do when when Peter called out to Jesus? All he did was gave him a hand, lifted him up. He didn't counsel him, lecture him, or put him down. He just lifted him up. Amen. But it was to his glory. 
It was so that people would know that he was who he says he is. It wasn't so that Peter would be a wonderful person because he was wonderful just in wanting to walk on water and just having the audacity to think he could. (laughs) Because the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so he figured he could probably pull it off because Jesus was right there walking on that water. And so he wanted to be like Christ. But when he fell, when he looked and saw fear, when he allowed the fear to come in and he began to sink, sink, (laughs) he sank and he sunk. But Jesus reached out to him immediately. You notice Immediately, He didn't wait until he, well, I'm going to let him go under to teach him a lesson. He didn't do that. Immediately, it says he reached out to him and pulled him out. God knows what he's doing. Amen. He only wants us, and he wants us to do the impossible. Jesus wants us to do these uh, unimaginable things. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He didn't want Peter to be harmed in any way. But God finds a way to work through our guilt and condemnation, and that's what keeps us separated from him. Guilt and condemnation keeps God's power from working in a situation. Amen. But if he can just get us to just submit to him and cry out or cry out like Peter did. When Peter cried out to him, that helping hand was right there. So when you uh, cry out to God, that allows us to feel his love. And that's all this is about. It's about the love that he has for his people, and it's about um, his glory, showing his glory in every situation. Amen. So we must learn to stop allowing ourselves to live in guilt and condemnation. Make the devil get up off of you. Amen. Because you're not guilty of anything. Amen. And if you are, you you know how to repent and God knows how to work these things out and work them out in us. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's turn to Psalm 37. Praise God. Verse 23. And you know the scripture. And it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, and he delights, in other words, God delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Amen. And that's what he did with Peter. He upheld him with his right hand. Let's flip over to verse, uh, chapter 40. Verse 2. Psalm 40, verse 2, it says, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Well, let's go to 1. It says, I I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also, and this is a psalm of David, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And established my steps. Hallelujah. And in verse 3 says, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And will see it and fear. Many will see it and fear. And will trust in the Lord. Now he's talking about God's glory. 
Amen. The glory of God will put a new song in your mouth. Don't you want a new song? I know I do. You get tired of the worries of the day and the troubles of the day that the storms of life can bring. Amen. But God's glory will cause the enemy to flee from you. Amen. Hallelujah. Many will see it in fear. The glory of God will cause many to see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Amen. They, they will say, I know that was the power of God. Nothing can have, could have done that but the power of God. God is always there to establish our steps even when we get off course. Even when it's our own fault, God is merciful. We try and miss it like Abraham. We try and miss it like Abraham did. But God works it out for our good anyway. Well, what do I mean? God, Abraham and Sarah tried to miss it. They didn't believe the word of God. And they tried to make a baby in another way. They tried to miss it. <laughs> because they were just wanted to hand something to God to say that they believed the word, but they didn't believe it because they went out of the jurisdiction of God to get it done. Amen. And so they tried not to, they didn't intend, I put it like this, they didn't intend to obey God because they didn't see, they were looking in the natural, they didn't see how it could be. Amen. It's just like Mary when the angel came and, and announced Jesus uh, that she would be become impregnated. She said, how can this be? Because I know no man. And so in the same way, Sarah and Abraham were saying, how can this be? Because we are past that age of, of reproducing. Amen. And so sometimes when these situations happen, we try or we on purpose. Uh, um, what is that word I use? Diso- they on purpose disobey God because they still wanted to make it happen. Amen. But. They didn't know the God that they served. And I noticed when I was reading this, his name was Abram and her name was Sarah. And that is because they were, in a sense, not under the covenant, not trusting him. Or you can kind of say, in a sense, not truly born again, in in the sense that they become born again. In other words, you know, they didn't really know them know God the way they they could have known him and I believe that's why God changed his name in fact I know that's why because he said I changed Abraham's name so that he would be able to believe amen so it's kind of like a a supernatural uh salvation and laying on a hand so that they would have revelation uh, enough revelation to trust in him, if y'all know what I'm saying. But why don't we go to Genesis 15, and we'll read up a little bit on what I'm talking about. Genesis 15, verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of God, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but... Um, Am I in the right place? Okay. 
This one shall not be. Wait a minute. Okay, verse four. And behold, one word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. Uh, if you are able to number them and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, in the Lord, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. Amen. Let's see. So verse 6, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now let's flip over to chapter 16, verse 2. Well, let's go to 1. It says, now Sarah... Abram's wife, notice their names, they, it hadn't been changed yet, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah um, said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from having children or bearing children. Please go in with to my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah, and Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be with his wife, to be as his wife, uh, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Amen. In other words, she became jealous because she was barren. Okay, so let's see. Let's uh, flip over to chapter 17, verse 1. It says, and when Abram was 99 years old, now when she had, when she gave her husband to Hagar, he was 89. So it was 10 years. So now he's 99 uh, years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am my almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Now, this is where it gets good, because you see in verse 4, he's talking about a covenant. Are y'all here today? Okay. My covenant, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be as father, a father of many nations. Verse 5 says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant. Now that's the, the clincher right there. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, um, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Amen. So any, now he's talking to us 
as well as Abraham. Amen. So the, the, in other words, the covenant applied then and it applies now to us. And so this was the difference in Abram and Sarah or Sarai, how, however you say it. Now there's Sarah and Abraham because of the covenant. Amen. So in other words, it's kind of like a, a, a born again experience. Are y'all understanding? And it changed things. It changed everything. Amen. It says also in verse 8, I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be your God. Now, this is the same land that many, many years later, the children of Israel, I mean, before the children of Israel were never saw because of their unbelief amen but anyway that's the same land and and the same land god is offering to us whatever you need to possess in your life whether it's getting out of poverty or having a a child uh, out of, uh, with unnatural circumstances surrounding it uh, getting married or buying your first home or you know, buying your first vehicle, whatever it is, the covenant still applies to you. Are y'all here? Whether it's uh, you need another job or a better job or a raise, you you in covenant with God. Amen. And that covenant uh, means that you are eligible, not eligible, it's already given to you. Amen. It's more than an eligibility. See, sinners are not eligible. We are more than eligible. It's already done for us. Now, I'm going to go back to Abram. Abram means high father, H-I-G-H, or patriarch. Abraham means father of a multitude. Um, And God was arranging that every minute Abraham heard or spoke his own name. So in other words, he changed his name. So whenever he said his own name, he would be reminded of God's promise. Amen. He wanted Abraham to know that covenant meant something. So I'm going to change your name. So you'll be more than just a patriarch. You'll be the father of many. And every time you say, I am Abraham, you are saying, I am uh, father of many. Now, what does that tell us? It means that you need to speak it. Speak things out to yourself. That decree is what causes things to be. The decree causes things to be. Okay, Genesis 20. <clears throat> Let's flip over to there. We're in 17. Let's go to 20 verse 1. It says, And Abraham journeyed. From there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. After Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Now, this is the second mess up he got himself into. The first one was having a baby out of wedlock or whatever and not having it the way God told him you'll have it with Sarah. And he thought God was mistaken because, you know, of his body. 
Then the second thing was he went to Gerar. God said to stay there. And he told people Sarah was his sister. No, she ain't my wife. She's my sister because she was a beautiful woman. And he thought that he would be killed because of her. You know, some man would see her, want, desire her and kill him. There's the husband. Get him. And so he said, well, just tell them you're my sister which is degrading for a wife, <laughs> you know. But he did it because we mess stuff up. These are the kind of things that we mess up, amen. But God can fix them. Let's see. And uh, verse 3 says, but God came to Abimelech. Now, he was the king. Uh, let's see. Wait a minute, I didn't do two. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. See, this is what that thing that he greatly feared had come upon him. Now verse 3 says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. Don't tell me God can't talk to sinners. He sure does. He says, and said to him, now listen to what God said to the king. Indeed, you are a dead man <laughs> because of the woman who you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous man, a righteous nation also? And did he not say me? In other words, did he name me? I didn't, I didn't do nothing. I haven't even seen her. I, I sent for her, but I didn't get that far. <laughs> it says, she is my sister. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the in- integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this. In the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I will not let you touch her. Now, um, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Touch not my prophet. Amen. Do my prophets no harm. And he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, in other words, give her back, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in that morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, we have, uh, what have you done to us? How have I offended you and what you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great, is a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to have been done. In other words, what you, you got me in trouble with God. Nobody touched her yet. It says, then uh, Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you, what did you have in view? That you have done this thing. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. 
and she became my wife. So he was going to try to go by that half thing because they didn't, they didn't cut that off back then. And so he said, well, you are my half sister. So we'll just tell them we're sisters and brothers. But God was like, he was afraid because he was saying to himself, there's no God in this land. And so they won't respect a woman as in a husband's relationship. So we'll just say you're my sister. Amen. So let's see. Let's go flip over to 21. You can read it thoroughly when you go home. Uh, let's see. Verse 1. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah, and he had said, And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. I guess he had to get real nervous and get in a lot of trouble to bear the child. And uh, in verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then uh, Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was uh, eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Now this is important. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. Amen. See, God can take these bad things, but you will laugh again. You will laugh again. Amen. You know, it's just, it's, it's bad. Things get bad. The storms of life are bad a lot of times. But God is showing us how he made Sarah laugh. But I'm sure the past 18 or 20 years was not laughable years. Especially when your husband going to say, pretend like you my wife so we can stay alive or so I can stay alive. And so, you know, God is, is trying to show us how important it is to stick with truth. Trust him and let him turn things around. Amen. For you on the inside so you can laugh again. God, it's like God is saying nothing is too bad that he can't make you laugh again. Amen. All the trouble they brought upon themselves, God still made Sarah laugh. Hallelujah. And he bailed them out. He bailed them out. God told Jonah, Jonah's the next person we're going to talk, go to Nineveh. Jonah, go to Nineveh. And what does he do? He goes the opposite way. What was he doing? He was buying trouble for himself. He brought trouble upon himself. Amen. He gets a ticket, goes in the opposite direction to Tarshish, and goes down to the deepest part of the boat and goes to sleep. Amen. He he didn't care where he was going. Just take me out of here because I am not going to Nineveh to preach to that demonic city. He wanted no parts of it. Amen. So he definitely disobeyed. You see how these people disobeyed God? But you see God worked it together for his good, not to encourage people to lie and do wrong, but he did it for his glory. Amen. He did it for his glory. Go to Nineveh, Jonah. And so he went the other way. And what was he doing? He was running from God. Amen. Running from God. 
Amen. In a sense, Sarah and Abraham was running from God. They were trying to fix their own problem and trying to make it okay because they didn't see how the power of God could work in their behalf. So here's another one. God's plan and purpose is something that people overlook. His plan and purpose for, for, um, for that city, because see, all God really wants us to do is work for him in the midst of our storms. And he wants us to work for him in the midst of our troubles and in the midst of our blessing. He wants to bless us, but he still, he has a destiny for us. And all he wants to do is use us in the midst of where we are going. Amen. He has a place. That's what a plan and purpose is. That's what destiny is. It's where you are going. And in the meantime of where we are going, God wants us to work for him no matter how bad things get and trust him that he can change things and make it better. Amen. He can heal. He's a healer. And, and all people's, people need is the healing of their hearts. Amen. Amen. See, you can run from God, but you can't hide from him. You can run, but you cannot hide. So God will allow storms sometimes in our lives, but not allow them to overtake. These storms didn't, you see, Peter, he didn't go under. The storm didn't overtake him because Jesus was right there lending out his right hand. Amen. He just reached his hand out, pulled him right up. He didn't say, well, I shouldn't because you should have never asked me to come, you know, to bid you to come. He didn't do that. He was there for him no matter what. Amen. Hallelujah. So God will get you back on course. I don't care how many storms come into your life. If you want to get back on course, if you want things to get right according to God's standards, then God will make them right. So we just need to repent, admit that we often have a plan B, which gets us in trouble. This is how people get into trouble with their plan Bs. Abraham and Sarah had a plan B. Uh, Jonah had a plan B, <laughs> and they don't work. Amen. So let's go to the uh, book of Jonah. Hallelujah. Don't ask me where it is. I know it's after somewhere behind Isaiah, Jeremiah. It ends with an H. That's how I learned all of the, the books. Hallelujah. Hosea, all of those that kind of, I know that's not Habakkuk, that's not the way you do it, but that's how I learned when I was, you know. So come on, Jonah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, uh, who is that? Amittiah, Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. 
from the presence of the Lord. See, he was running from God, running from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. That's where you go down to the dock. That's the dock. And found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then the storm came. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. And then the mariners or the the people that worked there on the ship were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. Notice it says to his small g, God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. He wasn't thinking about that storm. <laughs> he thought he was no longer in the presence of the Lord. But see, he didn't know, you know, if you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, God will find you there too. You cannot hide from God. And it's a good thing. God does that for us, not for him. Amen. So it says here, a great wind on the sea, I'm in verse 4, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and that ship was about, oh, I read that already. Let's see, oh, okay, on 6. It said, so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. (laughs) Yeah, he's a sleeper. Arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Amen. And they went on and on. I would want to know about him, too. Amen. Let's go down to verse, did I do seven? Yes. Okay, I need to do eight. Okay, nine. Let's jump down to verse 12. It says, and he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard and returned to land, but they could not. They tried, but they couldn't. Uh, For the sea continued to grow more tempest against them. Let's go down to 17. Let's see where I'm at. Let's do 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow him up. Well, let's do 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. So God sent the fish for Jonah's sake. Amen. Whenever we see what what he caused other people, a big mess, it was just a mess. But God still fixed the big mess. Amen. Because he's God. And let me just say, there's no other way for a big mess to get fixed other than God. 
if it tries to get fixed by man. Man can't fix a big mess. We can't really fix the messes or the trouble that we cause for ourselves. Even though sometimes our hearts are not evil, but sometimes when we cause uh, just by simple disobedience, God still, we still need God. We can't fix things, but God can. Amen. There's nothing too hard for him. Amen. So God rescued him in the belly of the fish. Uh, let's see. Let's go over to 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Notice God had to speak to that fish before he regurgitated Jonah. That's just how control, that's just how controlled God has everything that concerns us. He has everything under control. Amen. He has everything. If we will allow him to work on our, our behalf, he doesn't want to try to, uh, you know, what is that word? He's not trying to cheat you out of anything. He wants to add to you and make things better. And sometimes when the storms of life come up, things are hurt and they don't seem like God is with us, but he is. See, we don't go by how we feel. We go by the God that we know. Amen. And so all God God was trying to do was teach Jonah about obedience. Amen. And he he also wanted Jonah to know about his great mercy. He has our destiny to work out. That's what he's doing. It's not that he's not trying to uh, wave something like it's unimportant. He has destiny to think about. Amen. And so your destiny, you know how people say life goes on? Well, you still got to meet your destiny because we work for God. And God has every plan and purpose in line. He has, he knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing passes him by. So he is the great, uh, what is that word? Cause he's, he's the God of justice. He's the God of justice. Amen. Because we don't know how to apply justice to our lives, but God does. Amen. So he's merciful and he has our destiny all worked out. He just wants to use us in his great plan and we need to obey him. We must learn to desire God's will. See, if we desire his will and nothing else, we don't make excuses. In other words, if Jonah had God's will in his mind and in his heart, he never would have went to Tarshish. He just said, you know, I don't want to go among them sinners. I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, you have to have a nevertheless attitude. You really do. You have to say, nevertheless, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And so you have to know uh, a little bit about God, the God you serve, and what God wants you to do. Amen. Hallelujah. So he just wants to use us in his great plan. He's not trying to make us uncomfortable. He's not trying to do anything to us that's negative. He's trying to add the pluses, but he also had, God has salvation. 
you know, on his mind. <laughs> That's ultimately the, the, uh, and see, he doesn't want the devil stealing that from anybody. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now the Lord had prepared that great fish. He had all, all that was in the works. When, when Jonah was on that boat sleep, God said, let me just get a fish because I know they're going to throw him overboard. I mean, God knew all of these things. And it was rightfully so because those men uh, honored God. They honored God. They said, uh-uh, somebody's God is mad at us. And whoever is guilty, you better speak up. Because who bought this trouble on us? Amen. You know, cast lots, do whatever we're going to do, but we have to find the guilty person. Amen. So God's will for our lives, because our lives are not our own. Well, God, he's interfering with my life. Your life ain't yours. <laughs> you know how we say that? Or, I, this is uh, some guy, he was speaking yesterday, and what he was saying was, oh, he was uh, a preacher. And he said, I've heard people say my life was better before I got hooked up with God, got saved and got hooked up with God. <laughs> so, you know, this is what some people feel when they come into the Lord, but because it's no longer about you, it's about God now. That's what people don't like. They don't like that. They want, they want, uh, to stay in control of their lives. That's called not being submitted to God, but God has all these things worked out. Let's go to Romans eight. I'm almost done. I said I wouldn't preach long today because last Saturday I was dancing and (laughs) preached preached 90 minutes or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing that today. Hallelujah. But Romans 8, 28, and you ought to know that scripture. And, And it says here, and we know, well, let's go up. Let's do 27. See, that's what the Baptists don't do. They just tie everything together, but they don't want all the scriptures to work together. They just want to, they just want to memorize that one line and it don't work good by itself. 27 says, now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. Are y'all here? That makes it all clear. The, the, you know, knowing the mind of the spirit. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And that's the clincher right there. The will of God. Do you know the will of God? Do you know what God is trying to do through you? Do you know this, what this situation is really about? Is it about a fish and a boat and some sailors? No, it's not. But it's about the salvation and the saving of souls. Amen. Hallelujah. And the preaching of the gospel. And this is what God wants. He wants us to preach the gospel. You know, I, I'm trying to think of what, what, um, uh, um, I can't think of the, uh, uh, overcoming company. And that's what we are. We are the overcoming company that the earth, the people in the earth are so groaning for. These people are praying. Think about those people over, uh, 
overseas, these Christians who are being slaughtered. That's, that's the people who are groaning for our, um, our prayers and, and for us to, to reach them and minister to them. You know, all this other stuff is so superficial. It's not important. Amen. Hallelujah. So in verse, let's see, I did, uh, 27. So let's go to 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God. You never hear that part. They just say all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. Amen. And those who are called according to his purpose. See, God is about purpose. He's not about all this other, <laughs> so all this stuff that we want to do. Amen. It's about purpose. It's about his purpose. Amen. That's why he appoints destiny for certain people because he wants them to be in a certain place at a certain time to do his will. And that word purpose, uh, let's see, what is it? It means uh, deliberate. That word purpose means deliberate, a deliberate plan or a proposition, an advanced plan. In other words, it's planned way before you even came on board. Uh, an intention, a design. Amen. And that's what purpose is. See, we're called for his purpose. So they, you know, it's more than God worked together, all things together for the good. But it's for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Those, those things he worked together. He turned those things around and make them good. Amen. Hallelujah. So God works. In other words, God works in all things and he causes them to work for us according to his plan and his purpose in our lives. He causes them to work according to his plan. Amen. And purpose. It's not about what you feel like doing or what you don't feel like doing. God don't have time for that. And he don't care. He cares about getting his work done on this earth. And we are a part of his work. Amen. And we are that overcoming company that overcomes these storms of life. But we still carry his anointing and his glory. And he wants his glory to be seen upon all of us. How can that happen if we're carrying baggage? It'll never happen. Amen. And so we need to release these things and let God handle them and stop trying to handle them ourselves. Amen. And yes, they are hurtful things. And yeah, we carry a burden, but we, we need to learn how to tap into God's power. Amen. And that's the missing equation. That's what the Baptist didn't tell us. You know, and I'm just talking about when I was in that church, they didn't tell you this part because they didn't know this part. You know, a lot of churches know now, but they didn't know 40 years ago. But they don't understand how to tap into the power of God so that our burdens become his burdens. And that way, if we knew how to do that, we wouldn't run away from God. God said that the steps of a righteous man are ordered. Our steps have been ordered 
before the very foundation of the earth. God knew we would be sitting here today. Everybody that's here, he already knew you'd be here. Amen. But if we mess up and we disobey God, he will get us back on course. You know, storms knock you off course. He says he'll get you back on course. God will reroute your destination. Amen. Just like, uh, what's that thing? A navigation system does. You know, when you, you got your, what is that thing on? Yeah, that thing. And you make a wrong turn. It figures out where you are. It looks at your position and it considers where you're trying to go and it'll reroute you so that you'll get back on track. Are y'all here? Amen. And so God's mercy is bigger, and that's God's mercy, that reroute, that rerouting. That's the mercy of God. God's mercy is bigger than your mistakes, and you ought to be shouting. Our mistakes may delay things, but can't stop things. Your your mess up cannot stop God, and I'm so thankful. Hallelujah. Stick with the plan of God. He has things all worked out. And we miss God because we don't listen to him. Amen. Because we read where we, where do we read where it said it, it, um, reads it, it, what it's something about the intentions of the heart and all of those things. So, you know, because God has to reveal to us his purpose, but we don't give him time because we're too busy figuring it out ourselves. You know, but God wants us to just lay everything in his lap. And God has a good plan for our lives. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, if you'll go there. And, uh, yeah, we know it, but we need to read it. You shouldn't listen to anybody preach that don't open up the Bible and show you where it is, especially nowadays, because people have their own plan and their own purpose, not God's. But Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. See, we don't know what God's thoughts are. He knows his thoughts, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is the plan of God. The plan of God is to give us a future and a hope or an expected end. And it says, then you will call out to me, call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, you got to search or seek God. And I will be found by you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you to the place with, from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Amen. Because of iniquity, because of being exiled, the people were carried away. But God is saying, if you seek me, I will, you will find me and I will bring you back to your former state of prosperity. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And that was the way it was in the garden where he gave us dominion and authority. And so all God is trying to do is restore to us what we lost. And we lost it because we didn't want it. And then we wonder why our prayers are not answered. Because we give back our dominion and our power. Amen. But we need to get the passion back for God. And see, uh, what's his name? Jonah didn't have passion for God. Amen. Because he never abandons us. Even if we make poor decisions, he never abandons us. Amen. The Israelites were stubborn. And, of course, they murmured and complained every day. But God kept them alive. He fed them. He clothed them. He guided them. He did everything for those people. But they still were never satisfied. Why? Because they had their own plan. They did, they weren't thinking about his plan for them. They only had their plan and their plan. What was their plan? As far as they could see. (laughs) As far as they could see. That's, that was the plan. But God had a better plan for them. Amen. Because he loved them so much. Hallelujah. So stop living in guilt. They were guilty, and this is why they want to go back to Egypt. You know, why Why we come this far? He brought us here to die in the wilderness. And see, whenever you want to turn around and go back where you came from, that's a wrong move. Amen. Amen. See, back in the day, we didn't know that 30 years ago, but we know it now. It's like, okay, I can't go backwards. That's a, a no, that's a no, no, a known no, no. So I got to keep moving forward. And that's what God expects us to understand and to know. Amen. We can repent and see these people. They were no more going to repent. That was not in their vocabulary. Amen. Well, they repented one day and the next day they were right back on board with doing wrong. I should be fair. Amen. So God's not finished with us yet. So don't give up on God. Don't give up on you, even though you make mistakes, even though others make mistakes and hurt you. God is still bigger than these mistakes. Amen. But repentance must be a part of our everyday life. It has to be. Amen. And see, the opposite of repentance is hide from God. Go down to the bowels of the ship (laughs) and go to sleep. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's talk about one more person. We talked about Jonah and all the rest. Let's talk about Moses. Made mistakes all the time and brought wrong doings upon himself. Amen. He did stuff in his own strength. It's the Bible says, I think it's in Exodus 2. It says Moses, um, Killed a man who was mistreating a slave. He saw it. I think it was an Egyptian. I'm not sure. And he killed him. Amen. And then he flee to the desert because somebody recognized him. And so he figured the king found out, which he did. And so he flee to the, uh, to the desert. Amen. And he stayed there for 40 years. Let's go to Exodus 2. Hallelujah. And so while he was there for 40 years, God hadn't forgotten about him. 
Amen. He wasn't done with him. Why? Because he had purpose in mind for uh for Moses. There was a purpose. Because he was supposed to be dead and God saved him by using those midwives that put him in a boat and he floated down the Nile and uh, Pharaoh's daughter saw him and got him out of there and had a midwife uh, breastfeed him because he was newborn. And God didn't do all that for to let him, by one mistake, go and hide on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Amen? He just, God doesn't work like that. He values us. Even though sometimes we allow one bad thing to crush us, God is saying, you know, I'm not done with you. Amen. So, God calls this bush to explode and and become on flames. Amen. Then the bush start talking to Moses. Amen. The bush wasn't consumed, it was just on fire. But it wasn't burning and then it spoke to spoke to um Moses. Now don't tell me God won't go over and above to do whatever he needs to do to get our attention. He just will. Amen. And all of a sudden, Moses was standing on holy ground because that was the anointing. That was the glory. And he was standing on holy ground. Amen. And he knew then that God was not finished with him after 40 years. Hallelujah. So let's turn to Exodus 2 and we'll just read about that and we'll be done. Oh, Exodus. Right after Genesis. Yeah, push your button. (laughs) Exodus 2. Um, Alicia. Sorry about that. Thank you. Verse 11. And it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian, thank you, beating a Hebrew. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Beating a Hebrew. Wait just a minute. Let me rest a little bit. Okay, so we talked about it, but we need to read it. And Moses was grown now, and he went out to his brethren and looked at his burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And so he looked this way, and he, and he, wait a minute. And when he saw no one, he, he killed the Egyptian. And hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? 
And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. See, he thought he was incognito. 15, it says, and when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Hallelujah. Let's see. So let's flip over to Exodus 3, verse 1. And it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning, was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Okay. And then Moses in verse three said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him and said in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Here I am. (laughs) Let's see. Okay. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off this, your feet. This place is where you stand. Where you stand is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And you better be. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Amen. Let's go down to twelve. And so he said, "I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." When Moses, now he's given him his his marching orders this was the whole reason why moses uh appeared to him as a burning bush when moses when i mean god appeared to moses as a burning bush when moses messed up god still wanted him he killed that egyptian god uh god still followed him he forgave him and re uh rerouted him even when he went his own way to that desert for 40 years God followed him see when we have purpose when God has something for us to do he is going to find us no matter how far we run because people may be done with you but God is never done he's never done with us amen people may be but God is not amen and so let's see am I in 12 Let's do 11 again. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? See, he's saying that because he's, look, I done murdered somebody. 
I done messed my life up real bad. I've been hiding out for 40 years. I got married. I done a lot of things. I don't know if it was the wise thing to do. He knew he had messed up. Amen. Hallelujah. But he says, so who am I? Who shall I say that I am when I go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Amen. Moreover, God says to Moses, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. And that is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Now you see God, that purpose, he had purpose. God's purpose for him was to go and lead the children of Israel. He wasn't thinking about what well, it wasn't okay, surely, to take a life. But that was secondary compared to his purpose. Amen. And so when you have purpose, God still has that job for you to do. Now, it's, it's like this. Moses was 80 years old by this time. Don't forget, he he spent 40 years just hiding out. He was 80 years old before he got his marching papers, before he stood before God, and God finally got him to the place where he could do what God wanted him to do. That was God's plan. That was God's purpose for Moses' life. And he wound up living 120 years So 80 and whatever is 120. (laughs) He lived that much more. God gave him more time because he finally submitted to God's purpose in his life. And so the devil likes to make people think they are disqualified because we mess up. God says, I don't disqualify people. Amen. He says that when you are called according to my purpose, he says, I have something for you to do for me and time doesn't stop it. Your activities doesn't stop it. All God care about is your heart. That's all he care about. Cause, cause Moses didn't feel good about killing that man. He killed him because he was mistreating uh, an, an Egyptian, somebody that was lesser than. And so that's how he got fingered, getting involved with somebody else, two people fighting 
because somebody was lesser than the other because and that shows you the condition of his heart and so god this is why god called people that's why nobody could do this job except moses because god calls you according to his purpose according to your heart and everybody's hearts most people could care less they go to a bar brawl and they say may the best man win and they root and take bets on who's gonna win but he cared about the lesser than person. Amen. That was the condition of Moses' heart. So you can see why he waited 40 years before he called him into action. Because he, number one, felt like 40 years on the, that desert island was enough prison time for him for what he did. And number two, God knew that he would restore him. Amen. He will restore you no matter how bad things feel or look. He will restore you. So don't ever let the devil make you think that, you know, you can't do anything for God. All you need to do is start to trust God again. Uh, uh, what is that? Allow God to breathe life into your life again. You know, uh, have faith in what God has called you to do again. You know, intercessors are called for life. He's not finished with us. We're just, in fact, we're just getting to the place in, in our lifetime after 30 years where we're seeing our prayers answered and why he's called us to do what we're doing. Amen. Why he's called us to pray for certain issues. I never thought that I would see abortion of somebody killing a baby at birth, after birth. But see, we've been praying this prayer for as long as we've had manuals. And so it would be much worse. And I'm telling you, this thing is going to be re, uh, re, re, what is that? Re, repeal. Roe versus Wade. And it's on the way to being repealed because some of the very states that was voting for this see the evil in it. And they've already said, no, we're not doing that. No, this is too much. And they've drawn the line. And so who would have thought that same abortion prayer applies to today? Amen. Thanks. And so this is why we pray. Intercessors are called for life because sometimes it's a lifetime job before we see any, before we even know what we're really praying for. You know, so we, we've been praying for the Middle East, for Jerusalem for so long because you see what's happening. These people are about to want to go over there and string this man up. And all of this stuff that they say he did is just a bunch of botched up stuff. And so just like, you know, they did for the president of the United States. Because anybody that stands for God. See, this is what people don't, church people don't get it. When you, the Bible says that when you pray for, pray for, for, for the Middle East, pray for Israel. God says when you pray for them, you're lending to me. It's like the poor, you're, you're lending to God. I can't remember the exact words, but we must always have Jerusalem in our hearts because those are God, those are, that's where Jesus came from, number one. And I could tell you that's why the world wants no parts of Jerusalem. They want to bury that country. But you notice everybody, the Syrians and, uh, what's that? The gold, not the Golan, but 
You know all the people that circled him. I can't, but I know it's Syria. Who is it? Yeah, the Palestines. That's who I'm looking for. The Palestines. They are more, many, but they, I don't care how many times they attack, they can never take down that little country because that country has God's hand on it. It's where it all began. And God says, when you pray for Jerusalem, you're doing him a favor. And this is why the United States is so blessed. They're blessed because they've always stood with Jerusalem. See, it's like the same uh, uh, ideation or uh, whatever you want to call it that Moses had. Moses stood with the underdog. He didn't want the the people who were more than to take out the people who were less than. It's the same understanding. And so the United States, states, thank God, we don't do everything right. I'm not saying that because we ought to be ashamed of ourselves, the church, for not praying for these issues before. But I'm so thankful. See, that's why if you have a ministry, you need a, uh, you need to be led by a prophet so that they can hear from God and these issues. Cause I never thought in a million years that all those prayers would be valid in this day. Y'all know what I'm saying? I never thought that. You know, I just, you know, I'm not saying I didn't believe in what I was praying. Cause a lot of people pray out that manual and don't see any sense in it. Don't have any faith in it. But what I'm saying is I just never thought it would apply to our lives in such a dramatic way. Amen. And so uh, we need to trust in what God is doing and keep praying. I'm telling you, there's a blessing for all of you to come in here and pray. Because I don't know. Now, I do want to tell you this. The women that have the Bible study in Washington, D.C. is praying the prayer manual finally. Amen. They are praying the prayer manual. Amen. And they're especially praying the abortion and the uh, Middle East abortion, witchcraft. They are praying these prayers. And so I'm just so thankful that, um, and, and this is the kicker. You know, when we did that prayer thing and sent those videos, the lady already had a manual. She already had a manual. Because she already had met Barb. Barb don't remember. Barb said, I don't remember her. Do you? I said, no. And her husband is a film producer in Hollywood. And she's had her manual for so many years. And Barb said, I can't figure it out. She said, you gave it to me because, you know, we know these manuals change hands. She told Barb, no, you gave them to me. When I met you, you gave it to me. So she's living in California. She's a missionary. And, uh, I told Barbara, we went to California twice. Maybe we met her when we went to, you know, Shannon's graduation. We had to meet her somewhere, but she she says that she met Pastor Barb. So, you know, could have been in the spirit. I don't know. But I'm telling you, uh, I just thank God. I thank God that I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm not stopping because I know it's tr- real. I know it's true. If it seems redundant to people, ask God, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? He'll fill in the blanks. Amen. But, Father, we do thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We thank you that we are intercessors call for life. And, Lord, we thank you that we're seeing the results of our prayers 
even in this nation, we're seeing them wide open, Lord God. And we just thank you. And Lord, we just bless you. And we want to be here for your plan and your purpose. We know you have everything set up for us to uh, win this this war, Lord, because we are in warfare. But we know that we win because you have everything mapped out. All we have to do is obey you. And so, Father, we won't run the other way. We'll obey you. We'll do your will because we know that we are uh, those people, that overcoming company that was called by your name to do mighty works for you. And that is our first obligation. And we thank and praise you, Father. And we won't look down at our job because it is a high calling. It's a high calling. And we thank and praise you, Father. And we give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for Bridget. She was having problems with her back. Father, we just curse back pain in Jesus' name. We curse it right now. All of that pain, we curse it. And we command that back to be healed in Jesus' name. From the top of her head to the soles of her feet, be made whole. And we do thank and praise you. And we give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.